reflective time uh, with the Lord. And in just a minute, um, Kevin O'Connor is going to come and share with you. And uh, if you've been here a while, then you know every so often Kevin comes. And we always enjoy uh, when he comes and, and preaches. And so uh, we're looking forward to it this morning. Let me just highlight the card that was on your seat. Uh, Pastor Anson alluded to Easter, and we're going to have an upcoming sermon series called Just Walk Across the Room. And the whole focus of that series is to teach us and train us on how to have Jesus conversations with people. And so for some of you, you might go like, I am freaked about that kind of thing. Well, that's the whole reason for the series. In fact, it's a whole lot more simple than we often think sometimes. And so we're going to walk through that series. But one of the things we thought we would do during that four-week series is that we would create these, these group study times where we could actually come together and work through a, kind of a smaller group or a small study together and, and just, just help each other learn how to have Jesus conversations, how to offer invites, and how we might, by walking across the room, we might even change eternity for someone. So here's what we're doing. This is this card. You'll notice on the back side of this card are all of our groups that are going to do, all of our study groups. They're only four weeks long, and I'll be bold to tell you our goal is that every single person would find one of these groups to be a part of for just four weeks. If you're already involved in a group, your group is going to transition to do this for four weeks. If you're not involved in a group, we want to encourage you, just check it out for four weeks, a group, all right? So we have groups that are happening on Sunday, Monday, Wednesdays, and then you'll notice at the bottom of the card, if there's another night that's better for you or another time that's better, please let us know because if we get a nice group that can do it at that time, we'll just launch another group. We actually have leaders ready to do that. So just take this card, and we're asking if everyone would fill this out, even if you're already in a group, just fill out the information of the group you're in, and just check the box for the group that works for you. We have them listed by location. So if you live in Jamestown area, there's one there. If you live in Winston-Salem, there's one there. Uh, if you live over in, uh, even down in Trinity, Thomasville, we have a group down there as well. So see where those are at. <laughs> That's our Trinity section over there, so a little odd over there. Um, so if you just fill that out, just check a box, your name, and, and a phone number is all we need. We don't need a bunch of information, just a, a way to contact you on that, or use the bottom and just check the day that works best for you, and we'll try to launch a new group uh, that, that works for that. Again, they're just four weeks long, and they lead right up to Easter this year. So a uh, very timely for us and, and significant time. So I'll leave that with you. And I want to invite uh, Kevin O'Connor, if he would go ahead and come up. Kevin, we're looking forward to it. Um, even though Kevin's like 105 years old, he can still bring it. So we're looking forward this morning. I was that, was that right? Close. Okay. Close. That's, that's what Carol told me to say. Carol told you yeah. that. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm sure. All right. You know, yesterday was Pastor Tom's birthday. Yeah. And I just want to stand up here and say, oh boy, here first goes. off, happy birthday. But brother, Where is this you going? need to pray to the Lord your God that you look as good as I do when you're mine. Go sit down, man. Yeah, you are a pretty, pretty good-looking 105-year-old. Good morning. Will Williman is professor of the practice of Christian ministry at Duke Divinity. And for whatever it's worth... I don't have a dog in the fight. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm a pit guy, so you got to pray for me. Um, but it's the whole Duke, I, I was worried about that because I'm, I was worried, you know, all the, all the, all the, all the, you know, all the UNC folks over here are going to start booing when I say Duke and all the Duke people are going to stand up and, and scream and stuff. But no, it's not like that at all. He was a Duke divinity. 
And he served also as bishop in the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church. And I first heard him speak at a pastor's conference in San Diego back in 2005. And he has since become one of my favorite Methodists. Now in a sermon that he once preached titled, The Writing on the Wall, he tells this story. He said, early in my ministry, I served a little church in rural Georgia. And one Saturday, we went to a funeral in a little country church that was not of my denomination. Now, I grew up in a big downtown church, and I had never been to a funeral like this one. The casket was open, and the funeral consisted of a sermon by their preacher. The preacher pounded on the pulpit, and he looked over at the casket, and he said, it's too late for Joe. He might have wanted to get his life together. He might have wanted to spend more time with his family. He might have wanted to do that, but he's dead now. It's too late for him, but it's not too late for you. There's still time for you. You can still decide. You're still alive. It's not too late for you. Today is the day of decision. Then the preacher told how, this is great, the preacher told how a Greyhound bus ran into a funeral procession once on the way to the cemetery, and that that could happen today. And he said, you should decide today. Today is the day to get your life together. It's not too, or it's too late for old Joe. But it's not too late for you. I was so angry at that preacher. On the way home, I told my wife, have you ever seen in such a thing? Have you ever heard anything as manipulative and insensitive to that poor family? I found it disgusting. She said, I've never heard anything like that. It was manipulative. It was disgusting. It was insensitive. But worst of all, it was also true. For the first several years that my wife Carol and I lived in Asheville, there was a festival in the middle of July called Bell Share, and it attracted upwards of 200, between 200,000 and 250,000 people over the course of four or five days. It was great. Carol and I absolutely loved it. But you know what? The locals hated it. They hated it because all these freaks and hippies and tourists would show up and just wreck the feng shui of the place. It had arts and crafts and exhibitors from all over the southeast, but it also attracted a group that was particularly reviled by just about everybody. And that was street preachers. Now, if you've ever been to downtown Asheville you'll know that the center of town is pretty much a place called Pack Square Park. And in it, there is a statue. And I should know the name of the guy that's in it because I've lived there for a long time, but for the life of me, I can't. It's probably some Civil War guy um, that's in the middle of Pack Square, but that seems to be where everybody gathers together. Well, this is where the street preachers gather. And these guys, well, you, actually, you could find them all over the place, but this was the place where, where they, they, just, they would stand there. And what they would do is they would stand on the street and they would hold their Bibles in their hands And they would just scream at people as they would walk by. You're going to hell if you don't get your life together. I mean, just just every possible thing that you could, that you would think to yourself, now why on earth would you say that to someone that you're trying to change, whose mind you're trying to change for heaven's sakes? But this is what they would do. They would stand, and it got to the point where there were groups of people that would sit and stand across the street because they had, you know, they had a permit to be there. They were allowed to be there. So, but there were groups of people that would stand across the street and hold up signs and call them nasty names and all this other stuff. 
And I mean, and there were churches that were there where what they did was they had, they had, they, they gave out free hugs. Basically, for anybody that got confronted or accosted by these street preachers, they would walk over and they'd say, man, you look like you need a hug. Let me give you, let me give you a hug. It was, it was really kind of cool. But the thing is this, you know, the, the, what I would see is, is if you would look on to, you know, social media, either Facebook or Twitter or whatnot, and what you would see was people whom, you know, whom I know, whom I also know had an intimate relationship with Jesus, loved God, wanted to see people coming to know Jesus as a personal Savior, wanted to see them enter into an, a relationship with them where their lives would be transformed, saying the most awful and terrible things about these guys who were preachers. And I thought to myself, you know what, man? We're missing it. We're missing it here. Because, and I would say this, I would say this to, to Carol and I would say it to other people. It's like, you know what? I don't like what these guys are doing. I don't like the way in which they are doing it. But you know what? What they're saying is true. It's true. You know, if you, if you were to look in, 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 the, in the, the, the book of 2 Corinthians, in the fifth and in the beginning of the sixth chapter, you would see Paul made very, very clear At the end of the fifth chapter, he talked about the idea of of being ministers of reconciliation, you know, of of being called to go out amongst people and that our job, our calling, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes, but our calling was to be out and about in the midst of people, teaching them and telling them and proclaiming to them what Jesus had done and what it means for you going forward. And he also, man, and this is, I, I, I like to teach on, on 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 6, the first couple of verses are kind of tough because what it talks about is the fact that, you know what? It, it's, it's, Paul gets down to the brass tacks and he, and, he, and he talks about this sense of urgency of this. He said, you know, he died for you so that, you know, he made himself aware to you today, today. And today is the day of decision. Because you know what? There may not be any tomorrow. You may, and I, I had the opportunity to preach at Asheville Wesleyan a couple of weeks ago, and I had mentioned this, is that, you know what, and I hate to put it in these terms, but, you know, I, I, I know many of you and love you all, but it, this may be the last time we ever see each other. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, you may, you, me, anybody may go to bed tonight and wake up tomorrow in, in your eternity. The only thing we're guaranteed is right now, right at this moment, But the question is this, and this is the question I have for you. You know, if we're called to speak the truth, if we're called to be ministers of the gospel, if we're called to take this, this ministry of reconciliation out into the people, you know, of the world, the people in our world, the people that we know, how do we speak truth into the lives of the people around us as, as commanded by Jesus in such a manner as to garner their attention and their respect, and give them the best opportunity to respond in such a way so as to make the transformational love and grace of Christ a reality in their lives. Here's what I think. I think it starts. It starts with a commitment made by us to make fulfilling the mission of Christ a priority. Not just a priority, but the priority in our lives. The title of today's message is Let's Get Busy. 
And in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus reveals his mission for the church, and he wasted no time in letting the current crew of disciples that he had know that it was time to get busy. Now, many of us know that Jesus spent some time on earth after his resurrection showing up at various places, making himself known to the disciples for the reason, I believe, of proving that he was in fact alive, that he wasn't simply a ghost. If you were to look at John chapter 21, you would read that Jesus took the time to cook and eat breakfast with his disciples after they had gotten done fishing. Now, I believe that he not only did this because he was hungry, but also because he wanted his disciples to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was the same Jesus that they had known for the three years prior and that he simply wasn't an illusion or he simply wasn't a ghost. You see, he wanted them to know that he had, in fact, been bodily resurrected, you see, because a ghost simply does not eat breakfast with people. And this is a bigger deal than you can imagine. I mean, seriously, think about this. Even today, people don't go, walk, go around walking out of graves after being dead for several days. Jesus had to get these guys to the point where they knew that they knew that they knew that he was alive. That he had risen from the dead just as he said he would. Now the reason is that he had something for them to do. He had a job for them. Something that would turn the world on its ear. Something that would bring people from all walks of life to the knowledge that the one who created them has come to rescue them from the brokenness of their nature. That he has come to restore them to the relationship with their God that they were meant to have from the get-go. And in order for that to happen, they had to have total confidence that Jesus was in fact alive, that he had defeated death and therefore had the goods to deliver the same to those who would call upon his name to be saved. He had to tell them that it was time to get busy. And it's the same message that he continues to this day to give his disciples all over the world for nearly, nearly 2,000 years later. Today we're going to read about the day that Jesus ascended into heaven. To, and he, was, he rose up and he was to be seated at the right hand of the Father. But what I really want to focus our discussion on this morning is that he left his, you know, when he, what he left his disciples with when he left and how these things continue to affect us to this day. Now, I hope you got a teaching outline when you came in, um, because on the, you're going to need it. On the top of it, uh, you'll find a passage from the uh, first chapter of the book of Acts. Please follow along with me as I read to you from the first 11 verses from ch- uh, Acts chapter 1. This comes to us from the English Standard Version of the Bible. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Let me stop there for just one moment. Um, For those of you that don't realize this or perhaps don't know this, the book of Acts was written by the same uh, author that wrote the Gospel of Luke. Hence, you know, the the first book. He's referring to, to Theophilus. He's referring to his Gospel. 
to the story of Jesus that, that, that he had been telling. Now, if you don't know this, Luke was an, a, a close friend and intimate of, uh, of the Apostle Paul. They traveled together. Um, Luke was with him just about every. He was a doctor. He was a physician. And, uh, and he was, I, I, many would say, wrote probably the most articulate of all the Gospels. Um, very compelling, very strong. And really, when you think about it, if you could put it in these, and, and Bible scholars and teachers have said the same thing, that you could actually consider the book of Acts to be, you know, the second Gospel of Luke, really. Um, it's written in the same thing. And he writ, wrote it in such a way so it was a continuation of that gospel. So whenever you sit down and read, just you know, take a look at the last couple of chapters of Luke and work your way through, and then, then you hit, and then it really does. It has a really, really, uh, really, really nice flow to it. Anyway, let me continue. He presented himself alive, talking about Jesus. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him. This is the disciples, mind you. They all got together. They were, they were hanging out together as they, were, as they were one to do. What was the first thing that came out of their mouth when they got together with them? It wasn't anything... You know, like, okay, what do you have for us now? Or anything along this line. Check out what he says. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, but, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood beside them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? As if to say, you know, what the heck are you guys still doing here? Why are you standing here looking into heaven? This, this Jesus whom was taken up from you into heaven will come by the same way as you saw him go in to heaven. Now there's three things. Three things that I believe that Jesus left his disciples with when he ascended back to heaven that I want to talk with you about today. Although Jesus left these things to his disciples nearly 2,000 years ago, I want us to see very clearly that these are the same things that he has left us with today. So let's get started. All right? If you have your outlines out, take them out. Get ready to write this down. Jesus left his disciples with a mission, the Great Commission. Take a listen again to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, at first glance, you might think that these guys would be chomping at the bit to get to the mission that Jesus had given them. But let's take a look at the verses just before this one, and we'll see that was not the case. Listen again to verses 6 and 7. So that when they had come together, they had asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, no, he said it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed upon his own authority. Let's talk about these things for just a few minutes. 
one of the uh, one of the things that 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 got that got the, the the Jewish people in trouble, other than let's just idolatry, of course, but what got them into trouble a long time ago, and one of the reasons that they weren't as effective as God would have them be or wanted them to be, was that they believed very firmly that, um, well, the fact that they were God's chosen people was, was, goes without saying. However, why they were chosen is what the issue was. You see, for many, many within, 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 the, Jewish, within the Jewish faith believe firmly that God had created, and you may have heard me say this before, that God had created the world for the Jewish nation. And that you could see that by the way that they treated people. You know? By the way, it, we've talked about this several times, and you guys have probably heard this in many ways, is that Samaritans, and, and Samaritans were, were, were relatives of these guys. If they would see a Samaritan walking up the street, they would literally cross the street and go down the other side because they didn't want to look at these people. They had absolutely no use for Gentiles. None. They, they weren't even people in their, in, in, their, in, their, in their view. You see, they believed that, that they were God, not only God's chosen, but they were, they, were, they were the ones that nobody else stood a chance. They didn't understand. They didn't understand that, no, God did not create the world for the Jewish nation. God created the Jewish nation for the world. He created them as a conduit of his grace and his love and ultimately his salvation and his transformation. But they didn't see that. And you can see that right here in these verses. What's the first thing these guys said when they finally came to the conclusion that Jesus was who he says he was? That he was the guy that, that was the savior of the world. Even, you know, they'd thought about this, but now, man, we saw him. He's been raised from the dead. He's been with us for 40 days. He cooked us breakfast. We watched him eat. He's the man. What's the first thing they say? So, you're going to restore the nation back to us now or what? Are you going to put us back in the same position that we were in before, where we get to lord over everybody what this, what this thing is? And Jesus, I mean, immediately said, No, no, that's not your concern. I have work for you to do. It's going to be different from now on. And this is where we get the idea with the church, because to be perfectly honest with you, I see the same thing with the church. One of the reasons that the church has lost its influence in society and its influence in culture, and I don't care what you say. You can say, well, we're not here to influence the culture. We're not here. I don't care what the world thinks about us. You better, because that's why we're here. We're here to influence the culture. We're here to make a difference in the world. That's the only reason we're here, friends. That's it. But, having said that, it's hard to argue with the logic of these guys. You know? It really is, because it's, 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 our, natural, it's our natural tendency to be that way. You know, I see it within the church today. I, 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 I you know, I, th- this mentality within, you know, within, within un- unfortunately, within, within the church that, you know, our what we're called to do is more or less warehouse Christ followers until Jesus comes back. It's unfortunately became the culture of many churches. And I say that, man, and I, I don't want you to think for a minute that I'm standing up here trying to beat the church up. Not in the least. I love the church. I am a churchman to the bone. 
I believe in its mission. I've planted two of them. And I believe strongly in the movement. And I believe that, that, and I heard this a long time ago, and I believe that it is the case today that the church, the local church, is the hope of the world. I believe that Wendover Hills is going to make a difference. And and it is making a difference. It's going to continue to make a difference. But unfortunately, what I'm seeing out there, just it can be a little bit discouraging. You know? When I see people that believe that we should... You know, that, that, that we should wall ourselves off from everybody else, that we should, you know, that more or less that we should live in Christian communities and, you know, buy from Christian merchants and eat Christian food grown by, you know, Christian farmers and, you know, buy Christian gas and drink Christian water and, you know, have Christian friends that speak Christianese. I think you get my point. Instead of being salt and light in the world that desperately needs some light and a, different, a little bit different flavor that we can uniquely bring to the situation, we instead condemn it. And we do all that we can to avoid any interaction with it. Now, we've created a subculture. When what Jesus has called us to create was a counterculture. I've got to tell you from a personal perspective, if you haven't gotten this already, that the thought of walling ourselves off and separating ourselves from the culture that we are called to redeem is utterly repugnant to me. And I believe it was repugnant to Christ as well. It's certainly not the way that he lived. And I don't think it's the way he wants us to live either. But here's the really tough part. It'll be our natural tendency if we are not intentional in our efforts to reach out to the communities in which we live. We must be ever vigilant when it comes to the Great Commission. When it comes to reaching outside the walls and outside of the, the, the walls of our own church and outside of the walls of our own hearts and lives. And friends, we, we, can't, we can't do this alone. We can't. Listen to Matthew 28, a familiar couple of verses. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, if we would just bookend that passage, first two words, therefore go. And if we were to take this last verse, that the last part of verse 20 is, is the key. He tells us that we can be sure that we're not in this alone, that, that he will be with us even to the end of the age when we go. That he will equip us for our mission. He will equip, equip us with his presence that leads us to our next point. Please write this down. Jesus left his disciples with a helper. The coming of the Holy Spirit. Listen to verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. As 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 big a mission as he had for, for the church, as big a mission as he had for these guys, it's interesting that he didn't want them to go anywhere until they were equipped to do the job with which he had called them or to which he had called them. Now, during his ministry here on earth, Jesus referred many times to the coming of the Holy Spirit and how it would be him who will work through the disciples to accomplish what Jesus had, in fact, called them to do. 
Here's one reference, excuse me, to the coming of the Holy Spirit in John's gospel. He said in chapter 14, this is when he was in the upper room, but when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. How many times in in, in the Gospels can you see, I think think one of them was in, in, in like Matthew 24, where he said, don't worry, about what, don't worry about what you will say when you were put in a, a difficult situation because you will know what to say. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will quicken your spirit when you're open to it. I've experienced this, and I'm sure many of you have. It's like, gosh, where did that? You walk away from something. You just said something or had some profound utterance of some sort of thing, and it, and it, and it, and it, it turns someone around, and you sit there and you think, good grief, where did that come from? I didn't think I was that smart. Well, you probably aren't, but you, your heart and mind was open to what God was doing through you. It's one, of the most, it's one of the coolest things ever, seriously, if not the coolest thing. But that's what he wants to do. That's what, that's what Jesus is referring to here. You know what? He'll teach you everything and remind you of everything that I've told you. Jesus knew that in and of themselves, the disciples wouldn't even know where to start. Likewise with us. In and of ourselves, we, didn't have a, we wouldn't have a chance to even begin to accomplish this greatest of missions that he has given us. So he gave us a helper in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who emboldens us, who causes us to do things that you sit back and you think, man, what, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an introvert. What would cause me to stand in front of these people and say this, that what I just said? Well, the Holy Spirit emboldened us. He's the one that equips us with spiritual gifts. Not spiritual gifts to make us look good, but spiritual gifts so that we can, he equips us so that we can help the church fulfill its mission. And it empowers us to do the work of the ministry. He is also the one who convicts our hearts when we mess up. And here's the great part. He intercedes for us when we're facing the struggles of our lives. And understand something. I don't care who you are, I don't care what you do. You're going to have struggles in your life. Thank heavens that we have someone who's advocating for us before the Father himself so that we may be strengthened and emboldened and that he may transform us through that process. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here because that's a message for another day, but suffice it to say that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the goods to get done what it is that Jesus called us to get done. Okay, quick review. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples after his resurrection, he was speaking to not just the 12, and not just simply the 120 that were on the earth at the time, but to all who would subsequently become his followers for all time, which obviously includes today, which means he was talking to us. So when I refer to them, I mean us as well. He left them with a mission. He left them with the mission to reach all people everywhere with the life-changing message of the gospel. He left them with the mission of teaching people everywhere what he taught them about living in the kingdom of God. Things like loving God and loving people and loving each other as he first loved them, which would in turn show the rest of the world that they were in fact his disciples. He called them to be focused outwardly but he also knew that their proclivities would be to turn inwardly. 
And that was evidenced in their comments in the text. You know, when are you taking us back? So he left them with a helper in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would be the one Jesus promised throughout his ministry who would counsel and teach and equip and, equip and comfort his disciples as they strove to accomplish the mission on earth. With the help of the Holy Spirit, the mission would have died shortly after it was launched. But it wasn't because he stood He came and he he took over. There's one thing that Jesus left his disciples with, and it's a big one. One other thing. Write this down, please. Jesus left his disciples with a promise, his imminent return. The promise of the risen and ascended Savior is the promise of his return. Listen as Jesus describes this in Luke 21. This comes to us from the Olivet Discourse. He said, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand up and look, for your salvation is near. He will be back. He will. That's his promise. And it's going to be glorious, no doubt. But in the meantime, We must be about our Father's work. He has given us much to do. And we don't want to be the ones whom Jesus described in the parable of the talents. You know, the ones who hid their talent and didn't put it to work. They they clung to it instead, waiting for the return of their master without gaining anything for which they were given. I'm not going into much detail. Let's just say it didn't go well for them when the master returned. It didn't end well for them. He has placed us, you and me, his church, and we as individuals at the service of the world around us to be used by the Holy Spirit to draw people to himself. Are you prepared to be used by him in his mission to redeem the world? Are you prepared to make yourself available to his call on your life? Every one of us here, he has a mission for you. And that doesn't mean you necessarily have to go to the deepest, darkest places in Africa or South America to accomplish it. Most often, the mission field that God would have for you is right under your nose. The people around you, maybe your family, people you come in contact with daily, people you work with. Maybe it's the ones whom you see when you shop or who you, from whom you buy gas, or maybe do business with. Doesn't matter. He has called each and every one of us to live a quiet life of humility and devotion, dedicated to being conduits of his love and grace and mercy to a lost and broken world. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, each and every one of you can do that. You must do it. And you must do it because he is counting on you to do it. You know, I I just love how our passage in Acts chapter 1 concludes because to me it sounds like the beginning of a great adventure. You know, this happened just as Jesus was ascending into heaven. Listen once again as the guys in the white robes, as they speak to the disciples. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here looking up into heaven? 
this Jesus whom was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, these guys were probably dumbfounded by this whole thing. But nevertheless, they had, they had these guys saying, hey, we got stuff to do, man. I mean, this is just the beginning. This isn't the end. This is just the beginning. So let's get going. If you remember, if you remember nothing else, nothing else about this message, about what I said to you today, remember this thought. Let it burn into your mind and think about it. In the times when you feel like hunkering down after someone you know has just made light of you, perhaps because of the depth of your faith or how seriously you take your faith, you're going to want to write this down. He won't come back until we go out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I have no doubt that most everybody in this place has heard a message like this, a message that, that calls us out, to, um, that you know, kind of wrestles us and shakes us a little bit and causes us to consider what it is that you've called us to do here. You know, we've been blessed to be in such a, an awesome nation and a great place and even a great time. But nevertheless, there are so many people not just in, 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 this, in this world is, and, and from a vast perspective, but in the lives of each and every one of us that are hurting and that are broken and that are striving for things that, that at the end of the day are never going to bring them anything that they're searching for. We know, those of us who are called by your name, we know that the only thing that will bring the fulfillment that causes our lives to be whole again as a relationship with you and your calling on our lives is to let people know that. To let people know that, you know what, all the stuff you're searching for, all the money, all the fame, everything else that you're going after isn't going to get it done for you. The only thing that's going to get it done for you is the one, is a relationship with the one who created you and the one who knows you better than you know yourself. The one who gave himself for you and the one who is relentlessly seeking after you. Let me introduce them to you. Maybe there's some people in this place today that, I don't know, that just came and, you know, there were visitors and, you know, they came with somebody else and, and, and maybe they don't have a relationship with you and they don't know who you are. Maybe this is the first time they heard something like this. That they, maybe it's the first time they heard that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, really wants to know them. If that's you, I, I beg of you today, to consider Jesus. I don't want to sound like the guy who was, you know, the crazy preacher, but today is the day of decision. Today is the day. If you haven't found what you're looking for, I can guarantee you what that is, is here right now, today. And if you give your life to him, he'll change you forever. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do in our lives. We thank you for the mission that you've given us. And I pray, my deepest prayer today is that each and every person will be emboldened in this place to just open their eyes and look and see around them 
and see the people that are hurting and broken in their own lives, whether it's friends, people they work with, people they shop with, whatever the case may be. And that they would have the courage, that you would encourage them, that you would give them the faith and the strength to just speak up and to live their lives out loud so that they may see the work that you've done in their lives. Because I guarantee you that the people, the people that are around you want to know what causes you to be you and to have the opportunity to share that it was Jesus will be the best experience you could possibly have. Lord, I encourage each and every one of us to take that step. Once again, I thank you so much for the privilege of being here today. And I pray that the worship time that we had today was a sweet sound to your ears. We pray that you were blessed by it. I know we were. I was. We thank you for all that you do for us. We praise you and honor you this day, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. And I'm kind of fired up, Kevin. Oh, I didn't try that street preaching thing today. Well, I, I, we, this was one of those Sundays I said, hey, Kevin, it was kind of a wide open Sunday. We finished a series. We're going to start a new series. Just go where the Lord wants you to go. I can't tell you how perfectly this rolls in to where we're headed in the next five weeks. He said, Jesus didn't want to send the disciples out until they were equipped to do the mission. That's what we're talking about in this Just Walk Across the Room series. Let's equip ourselves to do the mission of the kingdom. And so uh, I want to encourage you, now would be the time to finish this card off because in just a minute the ushers are going to come and just drop it in and uh, we'll connect with you on on one of these groups that will go along with our Sunday morning series. So I want to invite the ushers, if you would go ahead and come and uh, we're going to take up our morning tithes and our offerings, our building pledges. Uh, again, if you don't come ready to, to give, uh, like this week I wrote my last check and I was thinking, like, do I get checks? Do I order more checks? What do you do in this day and age? Um, if you don't have a checkbook, that's fine. Windoverhills.org. Just go on there. You can set up your online giving for your building pledge and for uh, your regular tithes and offering. You can set it up all that way. You can do recurring however you want to do it on there. Hey, as they're coming through, let me give you some, uh, some fun news. Um, this past week, we ordered our building. It's been completely ordered. Yeah, you can clap for that. It's in production right now, um, and it will be delivered in mid-March. Uh, we're in our fourth week of our uh, everything being into the county, the Guilford County, for review and for approval. Uh, we were told originally somewhere in two to four weeks, so if that were to hold, then we would hope to hear information this week. Let me remind you, though, that means as soon as we have that approval from Guilford County, like, we're done with the approval process. We have everything. We actually have grading permits in hand already. So we could go move dirt right now um, if we wanted to. But if Guilford County said, well, we want to make a little change on here before we give you approval, then we might be moving dirt again. So we're going to wait till we get the uh, approval from Guilford County. If that comes this week, we'll be meeting and having our, our pre-construction meeting and, and getting our subs lined up so that we can actually... Uh, start moving dirt uh, very soon here. So, so it's an exciting time uh, for that, and we feel very close to that. And it, it, it's probably going to be uh, quite wacky uh, when we're out there lining the streets with chairs just watching bulldozers move around those first, uh, first day. Pastor Anson and I will be out there. Maybe you won't be there, but we will be there with our big gulp just sitting and watching uh, what's going on 
those first days. So we're pretty excited about that. Can I just remind you and challenge you how vitally important it is that we stay connected with our building pledges during this time. We're going to actually be handing over cash now to subcontractors who are going to be doing actual work. Up till now, it's kind of been the stockpiling. So it kind of feels like, well, if you're behind, you know, we're just stockpiling. Well, now it's behind not having a check to pay somebody. It's very important that we stay up on, on those pledges that the Lord put on our heart when we launched into that. So sound good? All right. Well, hey, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss you this morning. We're going to do our regular teardown, so if you want to help out, that would be great. But I'm going to dismiss you to grab your kids. Lord bless you. Have a great Sunday morning. Afternoon. Now. All right.